right, welcome to Puck It, We'll Do It Live, our pre-recorded Minnesota Twins podcast. It is Friday, May 22nd, and we have a good show for you today. Zach Pierce here, managing editor of The Athletic Minnesota, joined, as always, by Dan Hayes, our Twins beat writer. Dan, how are you today? I'm good. Hey, you know, I maybe a week ago listened for the first time in a while to our show. We have some groovy tunes coming into it. I, I don't know. I, I it really sets the mood, and and I forgot it had been a while since I've listened since the start. You know, it just makes the whole day start in the right uh, foot there when you listen to that song. Don't I've had think? a couple. Yeah, I've had a couple people actually reach out to me to ask what the song is, and I had to ask producer Adam, and he told me uh, that the title of it is called <laughs> "Funky Brass Time." That's the title. Wow. Funky Brass Time. I think that does a good job summing it up. It really does. It does. We uh, we also have uh, a special guest with us today joining us. Uh, uh, I think he's now officially our our most recurring guest of all. Uh, our other t- great Twins writer on the team, Aaron Gleeman. Aaron, how are you? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think the special part of special guests is needed. I, he's just, I'm just, yeah, he's our guest. That's it, I think. The special yeah, is worn you're just, away. You're just here. Yeah, that's true. I'm just part it's of like, the scene. You don't want to be the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, don't get people's hopes up. It's just gleaming again. <laughs> uh, uh, the reason we brought Aaron in today is because we did a special project on the site this week that we uh, that I hope you'll be able to read by the time you're listening to this. But that's kind of on on the editor at this point. Uh, we sat down, the three of us, and did a all-time Minnesota Twins fantasy draft where we picked uh, three teams, one each, obviously, of the best teams we could make using only players who have played at some point for the Minnesota Twins. And as we discovered very early on, gentlemen, uh, this what seems like such a simple concept, because we're all somewhat nerds and somewhat insane, uh, became rather complex, and there were a lot of tentacles to it. Highly competitive, I thought. That was fun. It, but, yeah, I mean, how many things do we – are you guys not surprised um, at how well we were able to agree? Because we were very, like, stringent upon the rules, and we set all these qualifications in place. And I thought the process of, like, picking out or, or setting that was was good it wasn't like people were angling for their player like you know we we generally agreed like three-year peaks on you had to have a player that had been there for three years i thought that part of the process was a lot of fun just kind of figuring out how to how we were going to set the ground rules in place and it, it occurred like two or three rounds into the draft we 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 I, I enjoyed the fact that we adapted as we went versus saying oh we're gonna do this exactly this way and um that was that was actually entertaining and we somewhat agreed really easily but also zach is 100 percent correct that like after about six picks of this i realized oh i care way more about the outcome of this than i ever should have or expected to and then we got to a point like in the middle of the draft where you guys had to leave at one point to do a po- to do your podcast and we were like i said oh should we pause it till tomorrow and you're like no you pick while we're gone and then we can immediately resume it when we're done and i was i realized oh they also both care about this way more than we should so we're well, just completely roped in now that's that's why i liked how much care we put into the the picking or setting the rules for it because like 
it became clear to me when we actually hammered down like um, everything about it to the point where we even agreed we wouldn't do 2020 rules so that my Dennis Reyes pick later in the draft oh would my my loogie yeah. would not uh, be disrupted. Like we we pretty much nerded out on this. It was it was fun. So we'll, we'll, we don't want to bore you with uh, too many of our rabbit hole rules that we put in, but I think it's important before we start talking about this to to have at least a, a, a little primer for anyone who um, who hasn't already turned this podcast off. Uh, we so the rules were the basics. We picked full twenty six man rosters. You had to pick a complete team, so starters, bench, a full bullpen, and fielding was a consideration. So you can't just pick every power hitting first baseman slash DH that's ever played for the Twins. They have to play in the field somewhere. Uh, they were eligible to play any position in the field that they had ever played with the Twins. So Jim Tomey, for instance, could only be a DH, even though he played first base at other stops in his career. Uh, we, we ran into an issue with the short-time players, your Nelson Cruises, your Jim Tomies of the world, who had a really great run with the Twins, but it was very brief. And we were trying to decide, should we allow you to take that player with those statistics? How do we kind of uh, balance that against players who have been here for longer or whatever? We had a solution for that. That was a little roundabout, maybe maybe strange, but it worked for us in some way. Uh, we set minimums for the Twins' careers of these players that they had to achieve to be eligible to be drafted in the first 20 rounds. So it was 1,000 plate appearances for hitters. 75 starts or 120 relief appearances for pitchers. You had to have achieved one of those minimums throughout your Twins career to be eligible for the first 20 rounds, which meant that Nelson Cruz, for instance, was not eligible until the last six rounds of the draft when we opened it up to all players. Uh, that was sort of our way of, of trying to trying to balance um, the value of players who'd put in more time versus those who had a very brief um, a brief time at the top. But then the question became, if you're drafting, say, Joe Maurer, for instance, do I get the 2009 MVP winning, batting title winning, power hitting Joe Maurer, or do I get the 2019 on his last legs, um, still a decent hitter, but obviously diminished in value, Joe Maurer? And the way we decided to uh, address that was to, as Dan alluded to, have every, every player have a three-year peak that we are able to pick for their statistics. So... If you draft Joe Maurer, you can get 2009, but you also have to take the years around 2009 that were still great, but not um, quite as elite as his 2009. So that led to some interesting picks. There's going to be some names on our teams that you may not expect to see because they had a really solid three-year run with the Twins at some point and then maybe also played many more years with the Twins that weren't as good. But as long as we could find a three-year peak that um, was solid, they became attractive draft prospects. So... Uh, the reason why this all matters is because the way we're going to decide who has the best team is we're going to load them into the out of the park. Uh, is it a video game, Aaron? Is that the right description for out of the park? I mean, I guess a simulation game. I don't know. Video games, simulation game, uh, out of the park to, uh, and we're going to be able to load in exact statistical lines for the, for the game to use as its projection method. So we're going (coughs) to, excuse me, we're going to take the three year peaks from these players average out the stats from those three years, enter those as the statistical line for the game to use uh, to simulate. So if that made any sense, um, did I miss anything, Dan or, or Aaron? Are we also, Brad Childress is also going to judge it, right? That was my <laughs> we should. Yeah. We should. He just uh, judges all give... teams in all sports. I like that. Uh-huh. That'd, be, 
that'd be funny. Uh, I don't know what he knows about baseball, but that's okay. He doesn't the need less, to. The less, the better. He just go, yeah, just go on his gut feel. So um, we're going to go through our picks. We're not going to go through every single one of them, but but the first few rounds are kind of interesting just to see how how it broke down given these uh, various parameters that we set. And uh, so we'll start with the first overall pick, which went to Dan, and it completely rocked my and Aaron's world. Dan, can you explain, uh, reveal your first pick and explain why? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I went Johan Santana, and I hinted around and joked around the probably – two weeks before because I really was undecided I didn't do my research until about two days before the draft um and and did a bunch even like after we did our first three rounds the next for the next day because I realized how serious this competition was going to be um but leading up I I I based it a lot off of talking to people I I did that 2002 story uh about the ALDS a couple weeks back and just looking at old teams, it really stood out how few amazing pitchers the Twins have had. I mean, you look at their their career war chart uh, based off of the the franchise, which still includes a lot of the Washington Senators players, and it's too bad we couldn't get some of their pitchers. But uh, the Twins have, you know, just not a lot of great pitching. And Johan winning two Cy Youngs and potentially could have won a third. And I, <clears throat> I knew – like you look at our top six and the other five are hitters. I knew there were tons of great position players in this organization, but not a lot of pitching. And so I, I kind of decided I was going to screw you guys. And, and also I also knew that he was pretty much your guys's favorite, both of you player in the in, uh, twins history. Um, so I kind of like let that guide about 20% of my pick <laughs> along with the fact that, like he is an elite, elite, elite arm, and there aren't very many of those. So that's why I did. And you know, the fact that you guys were reacting for a little while afterwards, I'm still smiling right now. I'm sure you can hear that coming through the mic as I'm uh, describing this pick. Yeah, I mean, I don't the the logic. Your logic is is ironclad. I just have a problem with the audacity of it, like just the. <laughs> I'm just going to ruin this whole process before it really even starts. Like I had literally written an article it, like eight days before about how Johan is my all-time favorite player and he writing about him changed my career and all this stuff. And then Dan's like, yeah, I'll take him. To which I freaked out. And, and then Zach also freaked out. And I'm like, wait, Zach, why are you freaking out? And Zach goes, oh, well, I was going to take him number two. At which point I realized my day was going to be ruined no matter what because I was picking third. <laughs> it was uh, it, it was phenomenal to see because we were all on the same thought process that that I think Dan, you're correct that with only three people picking, you're you're going to get two picks in the top six, which means no matter what, you're going to get one of those Hall of Fame level hitters um, on the Twins. But if you don't get Santana, it's it's a real mixed bag from there. Uh, uh, the starting pitching, as we learned uh, later in the draft. So, Dan, with with a, a world rocking pick to take Santana first. I think it took me like a full twenty four hours to regroup and actually make uh, my pick at number two, which uh, I, I did debate. I, I don't think it's obvious what what hitter should go first in this game. It kind of depends if you want power uh, or, or not. But I, I just kept coming back to it was hard to pass on Rod Carew at number two. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's legit. Like when I a couple years ago, I did a book just basically ranking. It was more career value as opposed to peak. But I had I went puck or Killebrew first, Carew second, Puckett third. But in my mind, like they're pretty interchangeable there, which I guess is part of the process that you were just talking about. Because when I was assigned the third pick, I secretly was like, this is the best pick because you get whichever one of those three is left over. And then I was going to take Santana fourth. Little did I know you guys were evil people uh, who are conspiring <laughs> to ruin me. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Carew's legit. And obviously with Carew, you get I, what I think is the best season in Twins history as part of the three-year peak. The year he hit 388, won the MVP and all that. And he can play uh, up the middle position. So then with the, with the third pick, I suddenly was able to take two of the remaining three. Although that I did debate at that point, like, do I still want to take the same initial strategy and maybe take Burt Blylevin or Frank Viola as a pitcher? But I couldn't pass on the the chance to get Killebrew and Puckett back-to-back at that point. So that's what I did at 3-4 at because we did a snake draft. Uh, I took Killebrew third uh, and Puckett fourth. So Aaron starts off with uh, two of the all-time icons, franchise history he's not going to have any questions about hitting home runs already right off the bat uh it came back to me at five and i went with joe mauer i went with the uh let's let's set the table strategy to the better hitters in twins history pure hitters period and also when it comes to getting on base uh are going to find a nice home near the top of my lineup then dan continued to set the world on fire with his next two picks dan yeah, well, first of all, let me just say that, honestly, a lot of my process, and, and that, like talking to baseball people over the years, the best teams are always very sound in center field catcher and shortstop. Like, defensively sound and have good hitters there. Um, if you can if you can put that combo together, you have a great team. And, and that was really in my mind going in. And that's why I did think about Kirby Puckett, number one overall. I mean, not only the... Uh, like the the, I don't know. That's to me, he's an all around stud, and so to go the pitching route really stood out on why the pitching uh, was of importance to me because I I was adamant that I was going to do the way I wanted to. Uh, there are very few great shortstops in Twins history, and and but <clears throat> once I thought about the pitching, I, I changed it, and so I mean, of course, first I went with Tony Oliva with the sixth pick overall, just because. He's the last of the good hitters uh, of the of the great elite hitters in the organization. There are so many good hitters. I mean, there was one pick later that I can't remember, and we'll get to it because it was in the top four rounds. But one of you guys killed me with it. Um, uh, but Oliva just—it's hard to match what he did and five times leading the American League in hits and hit for power, hit for average. Um, but but the third round, I led it off with Burke Ball Eleven. Um, and that drew another round of, what did you call him? Aaron? Did you say I was a monster at that point? Was yes. That, was... <laughs> you're, a, you're a monster. <laughs> yeah. Because um, at that, at that point, like, because I go four picks between my picks and I always pick back to back. So as soon as I put the, the pocket pick in, I think like, well, all right, what are the odds that the Blylevin and Viola are going to go here in the next four picks? I'll end up with a pitcher. Then Dan takes Blylevin and I start to go, oh no. This thing yeah. is going to – I'm going to end up with Kyle Gibson <laughs> as my number one starter or something. Well, and, and here's why – here's – okay, look. you know, in, Sorry, Kyle. All of us all of us 
probably have done fantasy sports. And one thing that you like to do is control the draft when you can. And creating a run on players at a position where you're already set is always a good feeling. And I knew taking Blylevin, and, and the great part about this is the three-year peak. Because if you go with his entire Minnesota Twins body of work, it's a little bit watered down. Like 320 ADRA, the strikeouts are tremendous no matter what. But a lot of that came when he was you know 34 to 37 and he had some rough years but at the start those first five years for ply 11 or yeah. first seven years whatever he was amazing out of the gate like his first five years in the big leagues um he had a 274 era and he struck out uh 7.4 per nine um but and with the 274 era and he didn't give up a ton of home runs and he didn't walk guys like those were hard things to find, and and especially when you get the peak years, it, it changes how some of these guys are perceived in my mind, and that was an easy pick. So we, I, I think the first six picks were pretty obvious, not the order necessarily, but we knew Carew, Killebrew, Puckett, Oliva, Maurer, Santana were likely to be those six picks. So this is really where it it started to get interesting, and, and Dan is right that his uh, Bly Levin pick suddenly really only left one, I think, obvious starting pitcher that you would feel good about at the top of your rotation. That was Frank Viola. So I, in a panic, not planning to take him at number eight initially, uh, did take him at number eight and sent it back to Aaron for two more picks. Right. So then at that point, I had two choices, basically, which was one, just punt pitching and just go for the best player available, which are all hitters at this point, or reach you know, 10 spots down on my uh, on my big board, on my Arif Hassan-style big board for this draft, uh, and take the next pitcher, which I felt like that just was going to be bad value in the name of trying to fill uh, a certain position. So I basically said, I'll just try to bash these guys into submission offensively. So I took uh, Kent Herbeck at number nine uh, to be a lefty bat after, uh, after the righties pucking and Killebrew. And then I took Chuck Knobloch at number 10, to be the leadoff hitter for that then three monster uh, sluggers afterward, uh, realizing I factored in the idea that Knobloch in that clubhouse was going to, uh, I don't know, let's say shake things up a little bit, but I felt like the leadership of, of Killebrew Puckett and Herbeck could at least uh, keep him in check. So I felt like zero pitching whatsoever, but a one, two, three, four of Knobloch into Puckett, into Killebrew, into Herbeck, I felt like was going to be very hard to uh, to beat. Knobloch was a great. Plus, Knobloch's got like, the familiarity with Herbeck and Puckett. You know, that's going to, uh, I think if, if any team was going to take him, yours has the best chance of him not yeah, becoming that's a clubhouse right. problem. Hey, hey, from 1995 to 1997, Chuck Knobloch hit 321, 420, 470. He averaged 121 runs. He averaged 51 stolen bases. Um, he averaged 53 extra base hits. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, three year peak. That that's amazing, and I love that was, looking back at old numbers like this. That was also before he became sort of a punchline defensively. Because if you look at like the World Series year, or even like yeah, you said the like ninety four to ninety seven, whatever that was, like he was leg- legit Gold Glove caliber second baseman. So I was hoping uh, that would help too. I figured Herbeck's good at first, Nabuck's good at second, Puckett's really good in center, and then wherever I stick, Caleb Brew is, you know, not not quite as good. I can't believe he has four rings. That's crazy. 
Uh, yeah, so it came back to me, and uh, we'll we'll stop the pick by pick here after the fourth round, and then just talk about our teams overall. But to wrap up the fourth round, uh, one pick from me, and then one from Dan. I uh, at this point, I have my I have my my ace, my staff ace, and I have uh, two guys who are sitting on base waiting for someone to knock them in. So I needed some power in the lineup, and I went with Justin Morneau at uh, number eleven overall. And that was the Knobloch and Morneau were the first two picks where it was like, damn, those are guys I wanted. Um, and you guys definitely changed my strategy a little bit just because at that point, the big boppers all throughout were gone. Um, and by the way, Aaron, you mentioned your big board, your, uh, like a Reese, uh, your big board uh, for the draft. You know what my big board actually said at number one? Fluster the hell out of these guys. That's all it said. <laughs> there was no, I, there was I, no order. I feel like you're you're just sort of your big board of life at this point is just uh, annoy Gleeman. I feel between the <laughs> between the uh, the simulated commentary and drafting Johan, I feel like Dan has accomplished his number one goal like two months uh, consecutively, which is just put uh, Gleeman on tilt. Which, admittedly, I will say, is not that difficult to do. <laughs> it, it added a level of entertainment to this draft, but um, yeah. let me just uh, let me just finish with my fourth. I you know. Uh, you went Herbeck and that's a fantastic pick. And like, I wanted the other side of that, that hot corner or the, uh, the other side of the infield from those teams, because, um, you know, th- very few third basemen were, uh, as good in baseball during, from the 86 to 88 peak that Gary Gaetti had. I mean, you know, Mike Schmidt was around and there's a few other guys that could make that argument, but, uh, he is Gaetti is easily to me the best in Twins history because uh, he won three Gold Gloves in that period, and he also averaged 31 homers and 102 RBIs. And so I took him fourth. And that it my my theory then really shifted because once the offense was gone, um, I I really thought all right, well this game if you're gonna have the pitching you need to back it up with the defense. And I went heavy on Gold Glovers who could hit from that point on and it really shaped it because especially when Knobloch and Morneau I was hoping that I'd get uh two of those three um or one of those three um at that point or no no with Gaetti I was hoping to get one of Knobloch uh Morneau and Gaetti like and and make the turn and um but you guys you guys did a good job getting me back there and it reshifted my draft because from that point on I really did focus it differently I also I feel like Gaetti is an example of what you guys were talking about at the beginning of this, which is like he played I think nine years as the Twins starting third baseman, but really he only had like three like legitimately good years offensively. But because they were eighty six, eighty seven, and eighty eight, like Dan just said, you can stack those together, and that's who you get for this sim. Whereas like some other guys who played uh, like Brad, poor Brad Radke, who yeah. is one of the probably five or six best starting pitchers in Twins history. He never had three consecutive really good years. He always had sort of a mediocre or a clunker in between there. So Gaetti is an example of a guy who really shines in this in the format that we uh, came up with. Yeah, he had a eight fifty OPS in those three years, and that was like the late eighties. That was not yeah. the most offensive era of baseball. To have three Gold Gloves and an eight fifty OPS with thirty one bombs a year, like I thought that value was was tremendous and it like i said geared me towards the defensive side of things um but you you made a comment in the middle of this all like it's really hard to find 
three consecutive years of great, like a lot of players were hurt by that third year. You can find two really good years um, from guys. I mean, of course, there's exceptions to the rule. And, you know, you think about like, like Jim Cott, who I took later, like he had like an 11 year peak with the twins. And, and um, like, that's hard to do. And, and Kirby Puckett and, I mean, all these guys had, especially the guys we drafted at these top rounds, had these lengthy peaks. But once you get past the first, like, four or five rounds, it's hard to find guys that were dominant for three consecutive years. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it feels silly to be like, oh, I learned some lessons from this fake fantasy draft that we did between the three of us. But I do think, like, <laughs> I, I like legitimately do think, like, looking all the over all these careers, you do learn something about, like, career paths or longevity or just, like, how people age. Because exactly what you just said, Dan, is, like, you, in your mind you think, oh, this guy was solid for seven years and there. I'll just go grab his three best. But there was always an injury in there or an, always a year where they hit, you know, 220 for whatever reason, and it, it, particularly on the pitching side, like there was years just in the middle of like Cy Young caliber years, a guy would just blow up for 25 bad starts, and it, it made it tricky. But also, I you know, you do learn. You, I guess you start to appreciate guys like, I don't know, like it made me appreciate Herbeck more because Herbeck yep. just hit like 280 with 25 homers and an 800 OPS for, uh, you know, 13 years in a row, basically. Our top four is done. Do you guys want to – did you guys already make your lineups out? Uh, sort of, Yeah. Should, I was going to say we just go around and oh. do the highlights from, okay, from that works. Your, your roster, however you want to do. So just to recap, the top four is Dan had Santana, Oliva, Blylevin, Gaetti. I had Carew, Maurer, Viola, Morno. Aaron has Killebrew, Puckett, Herbeck, Knobloch. So those are the top four picks for each. And let's, uh, yeah, let's go around the horn and uh, we won't go through every single pick. But Aaron, if you want to kind of give the the, the – full rundown of your team, the things you like about it and all that, go for it. Okay, so after those first four picks, I realized I might as well just lean into the all-offense approach, even though I don't love it necessarily. Uh, so I ended up, you know, I took Chili Davis as a DH. Uh, I took Shane Mack as my uh, other outfielder who had an amazing peak. Uh, yeah, I think probably one of the more underrated players uh, yes. from like 90 to 94, basically hit like 300-plus power and speed. Uh, then I, I took uh, Roy Smalley as my shortstop. Killed me uh, with that one. Who probably offensively, like, it, he basically did what Polanco did last year, which was a great season, but he did it, like, two or three times uh, in the in the course of his five best years. So I felt like he was the best option at shortstop. Then I took Brian Harper, uh, who's a 300 hitter at catcher. Uh, and But the problem that I ran into at that point was, you know, obviously there's no sort of – decade-long dominant starting pitchers left. And so I took two approaches from there. One was I tried to focus on, like, pre-1980 starting pitchers who had really good three- to five-year runs. So I ended up with Jim Perry, who won a Cy Young in the 60s, Camilo Pasquale, who was, like, their first ace when they came over in the 60s from from Washington, uh, and then guys like Dave Gold, Scott Erickson, Mudcat Grant. These are not, like guys who are on the all-time Twins wins leaderboard, but they had three or four really good years at some point that I could that I could at least slot into a rotation and be competitive. And then I also thought, well, if the rotation is going to stink, relatively speaking, I got to go heavy on relievers. So I spent a bunch of early-ish picks on relievers, Aguilera, Al Worthington, uh, Tom Hall, and then I took uh, Reardon, who was the 87 closer late, 
and then Ron Paranowski, who was their closer for a while. So I ended up with like four, I, th- I think four of the top eight closers, saves-wise, in Twins history, which is uh, ironic because no one cares less about save totals uh, than me, at least in theory. But that's how I built the, <laughs> the team, basically. Great lineup, basically eight deep in, in plus hitters. Try to patch together a kind of sneaky good rotation and then go heavy on, on the bullpen. Dan, your thoughts on Aaron's uh, team there? It's good, but I mean, the uh, okay, good. <laughs> it's gonna. Be, this is gonna be so much fun to see how these play out because we all had to adjust our styles, and and uh, he, like you said, um, heavy on the offense. But I want to see how those gloves work and uh, what their what your pitching staffs gonna think of those gloves. Um, it, yeah. it's, uh, it'll be interesting. Zach, would you? Uh, what were some highlights of your roster? So while Dan cornered the starting pitching market, and while Aaron uh, smartly pivoted to a uh, an all offense approach, I found myself a little uh, envious and wanting to put my own stamp on the draft. So uh, after taking Bob Allison fifth, so now I have Morneau and Allison to go back to back in the middle of the lineup. I uh, I started the the run on relievers with Joe Nathan uh, in the sixth round, who was. Uh, absolutely amazing in his three-year peak. Uh, and then I decided, you know what, maybe I can kind of keep rolling with this and, and build a strategy around um, not being able to be beat at the back end of the games, assuming I have the lead, which is no guarantee in this uh, in this simulation. But So I also have Taylor Rogers, Pat Neshek, Eddie Gordado uh, to be my, I guess, higher leverage relievers along with Nathan in the bullpen. Uh, added Big John Rauch and Jose Mijares <laughs> from, from the mid-2000s. Uh, teams to be the uh, the the low leverage guys, I guess. Uh, other than that, uh, my team is going to be uh, pretty much all 1960s players, <laughs> as, as Aaron and Dan both pointed out to me. I kept I kept commenting how I had no players from the World Series teams on my roster, even though I had most of the 1965 team uh, <laughs> as well as well as Frank Viola, but from the 1991 team, I didn't have anyone on the roster until. Uh, well, Tappany, I guess <laughs> my my twenty something round pick. But um, so I, I'm I'm light on players from the most uh, perhaps most famous or most beloved team in all of uh, Twins history. But Corey Koski at third base. I have Zoilo at shortstop. Outfield's a little strange with Bob Allison at left, Jimmy Hall in center field, the uh, the forgotten center fielder from Twins history because Dan uh, scooped up Tory Hunter. Dan took Tory Hunter, right? You have Kirby yes, and Tory? I did. Yeah. No, Aaron has Kirby. Um, I had to go with David Ortiz as my DH, which was uh, which which we'll which we'll see. Uh, not not a bad three year peak, believe it or not, with the Twins, but certainly not the big poppy that uh, was in Boston. So that's what I. We'll see how it goes. And Dan, when it came, yeah, when it team? came to me, I uh, like I said, I went, I wanted to focus on defense. Um, especially because you guys scooped up all that hitting and, and let's be honest. And it's funny cause you guys are talking about pitching this way. I have some really good hitters, but comparatively in twins history, I have some okay hitters uh, compared to what you guys have. Like it, it's funny to say that, you know, Tory Hunter is an okay hitter comparatively. He had a really good peak, but um, it, comparatively to Kirby Puckett and other guys like, no, it's not the same thing. Um, but I, I did go with Torrey Hunter in the fifth round. I later grabbed Brian Dozier 
um, who not only obviously hit the hell out of the ball, but won a gold glove. And during his peak years, um, I think I grabbed uh, Greg Gagne in the uh, in the 15th round to keep that defense going. Um, the one pick that I knew I was going to make somewhere, and and I know we got, I got Aaron, I stung Aaron with this one, was when I took Errol, Earl Batty, um, who yeah. is the second best catcher in Twins history. And if Joe Maurer... Uh, hadn't come along Earl Batty man um, damn his first five years were great he threw out like 38% of all the base runners not that that's really gonna matter in the simulation with a bunch of power hitters but he threw out 38% of all base runners and he had a really good peak where he hit like 16 homers or 17 homers drove in a bunch of runs for a catcher um, you know and and did it with average too you know and so I thought, all right, that's the way I'm going to go there. Um, I was – the one cool thing, and, and we talked about our, our rules, and I really wanted to emphasize, um, make sure that this is the way we're going. We, we said basically we're taking players 162-game averages, and Miguel Sano was just sitting there, and all the great hitters were gone. Miguel Sano, if you look at what he did from 15 to 17 – because it's hard to get around what he did in 18. He really, what, he hit 199. He str- struck out a bunch. Um, it's hard to include his 19 with that. But if you go back and look at what he did from 15 to 17, you know, he hit 254, but he had 348 on base. And he had a 496 slug. And over 162 games, his numbers, which he never played, but over 162, he projected out to 37 homers. And 102 RBIs and 28 doubles, and so it was like uh, that was a gem. I think I got him in like the eighth round. Um, so I found my offense in spots, but um, I, you know, you guys made the point. Once you get past those first three, four pitchers, there's a lot of the same as far as the starters go. Um, so I waited till late to grab. Um, I, I took Jim Cott pretty high. I think I took him in the sixth round, and maybe that was a reach just based on the fact that he's a lot like other guys, but he also is a great defender. And so I kind of added him to the gold glove collection, but um, I got uh, Jose Barrios pretty late and I got Irvin Santana pretty late. Um, bullpen is somewhere where I think you guys got me, um, but I still at the, I'm top heavy on that because I got Glenn Perkins, who I think arguably is the best left-handed reliever uh, at his peak. Um, his three years there from, was it 13 to 15 or was it 15 to 17? Um, where, wherever it was, that peak was so good. Um, and I followed it up by taking Juan Rincon right there, who, you know, his war was within a couple from his peak of Joe Nathan. And he was amazing. Um, it, it's tough. Like, the, I knew the depth areas was where you guys were to get me. And I think that proved true on this. Um, but really we're all taking basically all these loaded all-star teams. Um, and I was able to get some spots here or there because I had that first pick. I was able to take Nelson Cruz once we went to that one year portion, the, where, where one year players, um, could be added to your team. And so getting to average to figure out how to use him for, you know, in this 41 Homer season for, um, for 200 at bats during our season, like I knew that was good. I also took AJ Pierzynski because I'm a troll and I wanted a <laughs> troll as one of my captains. Um, I 
his he's, bat flip in the 2002 he's, he's the dan hayes of catchers i would say or you're the dan you're the aj <laughs> Przinski of writers <laughs> it was yeah that was definitely a troll pick also the fact that he's a left-handed bat like i added a couple lefty bats on my bench because i was so right-handed dominant um well, you know what my favorite picks was, was Lyman Bostock. And, and if I hadn't talked to Patrick Royce and then done these, I wouldn't have known that much about him. But, man, and, and he was tragically shot and killed when he was like 28 or 29 after only four years in the majors. Um, but he uh, his three years with the Twins, he hit 318, 366, 446. To me, he's a little bit like Shane Mack um, in yeah. that – in that, like, wow, th- this guy was really a great player, and yet, you know, I had never heard of him before. And it, it helps, like, part of that's because he played in the, the 70s. Um, but, man, that kind of guy, he, he averaged 99 runs over on 162-game pace. He averaged 33 doubles on 162-game pace. He's a stud, man, and and that was fun. That was, the, I think that's... The, the part that I really enjoyed was getting into Twins history and learning a lot about it because trying to play catch-up on that um, has been tough. Just I've only been covering this team for two-plus years now, and there was so much to learn. and getting That was, that was the, the most fun part of this exercise was, was learning the history. I also I like how just kind of naturally, like we have one, like Dan went pitching and defense, I went all offense, and then I think Zach is more of like a balanced. I like how we – sort of came out of that draft like with three different like three kind of distinct approaches that we can actually yeah. kind of battle test it's kind of it's good i want to i'm going to do my lineup do real quick wait wait zach i want to i'm going to read my lineup because i so i got dozier leading off i hit took paul Motter second he lasted forever i think i got him in the 13th round and i just thought his 362 on base was good there i got leave a hit in third gaiety hit in fourth bostock fifth sano sixth uh, Tory Hunter seventh, Earl Batty eighth, and Greg Gagne ninth. So, uh, just by the way, and it's in my comments. Um, I like I'd prefer Daniel on the to be engraved in the uh, the the All trophy, right. not Dan. I know that's gonna cost you guys some extra money <laughs> for the I E L, but uh, I I really feel like I'm worth it. So if you guys would uh, add the three extra letters to the trophy, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> you got it, Daniel. All right. Yeah, whatever you need, buddy. Uh, Aaron, do you have a lineup yet? Uh, well, yeah, sure. I go uh, I go Knobloch leading off. Uh, I'll have Kirby bat second into Killebrew. Then I go Herbeck. Then let's go uh, Chili Davis, Shane Mack, uh, Roy Smalley, Brian Harper. And then I have a quasi-platoon of Jock Jones and, and Rich Rollins in the ninth spot. And I'm kind of hoping that, like, Dan's defense won't matter if I'm just hitting the ball over the fence, basically. That's my approach. Yeah, that, I, think that, I think that has to be uh, the way we look at it, is just take the defense out of it entirely uh, if we can. But um, I, don't, I don't really – okay, I'll, I'll piece it together quick, too. I guess Zoilo leads off, and then Carew, Maurer, uh, two and three. Allison, four to get a righty in there. Morno five. Kadire and Koski six seven in some order, uh, probably Ortiz eighth and Jimmy Hall ninth. Um, that's subject to change. We'll see. And that that entire lineup's going to have to change whenever Johan pitches because there's six lefties in that uh, yeah in there. So 
I, my entire bench is right-handed hitters just to play against Johan, basically. <laughs> it's going to be, right, well, be, it'll be great if we sim this thing 162 games, which we're going to do, and we're going to write about it, and Johan goes like, 11 and 18 with a four something <laughs> year, right? That's I'm I've never rooted against my all-time favorite player before, but I've found a circumstance where I'm doing that. <laughs> so we're going to get to that uh, as soon as we can, but t- tomorrow uh, on the site on the Athletic Minnesota, you'll you'll be able to see the full story, the full draft, uh, all of our teams and kind of the tee up for the simulation and out of the park. We'll let you vote on who you think has the best team going into this and then uh, at some point soon we'll get to the simulation i should also note that matt guerrero was mr irrelevant in this draft the yes. 78th overall pick to dan but uh that's it any parting shots dan no i've, I've said my piece and and the rest of it'll stand up in the i there's so much trash talk in my <laughs> 26 rounds so i i don't need to say more all right aaron I just I thought at one point I thought well let's just publish most of the slack conversation that we've had during this draft and then I started looking back through it and I'm like oh no we cannot publish this at all it's just Dan <laughs> basically harassing his coworkers and us just complaining so uh, I'm rooting for myself to win obviously but pretty much equally to that I'm I'm rooting for for Dan to finish I would hope for something like 54 and 108 is the record I'm shooting for for Dan Hey, Hawk, Hawk said that you win 60 games no matter what. All right. Uh, so, yeah. they, the... <laughs> so I'm at least finishing 60. All right. May the best team win. We'll see how it goes. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time.